Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the message. Amen. Well, church, you can have a seat. Glad you guys are here. I want to welcome you again to the Good Friday gathering. My name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and if you're new to the Rim Church, welcome. Uh, I also am new, so I hope you feel really welcome. Like this is my second time to preach here. So uh, if you don't like it, come back next week. It won't be me. It'll be someone else, and you can give him a chance. Well, if you have your Bibles, would you grab it and turn to John chapter 3? Uh, we'll be there in just a second. Uh, in John chapter 3, we're going to meet a man named Nicodemus, and we're going to engage in a conversation that Nicodemus has with Jesus. And, and what you see in the story of Nicodemus and Jesus is something that you see happening with Jesus uh, all around his time on earth. Because uh, while Jesus was on earth, he had the gift of simultaneously being offensive and attractive. And so everywhere that Jesus went, his, his teachings, his, his ability to perform miracles, there was authority in his words, there was power in his hands, and that led him to be uh, a kind of man that draws some people in and repelled other people away. And ultimately, it was the words and the works of Jesus that led to the events of Good Friday. And so people would come near to Jesus and want to be drawn to him, and he'd say something, they'd be, oh, I'm so offended, I'm going to walk away. But you're like amazing, so I'm coming back, but like, don't say that again, because I don't like that about you, but like, I can't leave, because I think I love Love you, but like this is hard. That's Jesus. Uh, some of you are probably experiencing that. You're like, man, this is like the best guy ever, but I don't know if I can follow him, but I so want to follow him. That's normal, very normal. That's Nicodemus. And he's so engaged with Jesus that Nicodemus has to go in the middle of the night to have a conversation with Jesus so that it will be safe. And listen, oftentimes when, when Good Friday services are happening, oftentimes preachers I know I experienced this growing up. Like, we, we can focus on the, the how of Good Friday and, like, how, what Jesus went through and how it happened and the cat of nine tails and the spikes and all that. And what's interesting is the gospel writers don't do that. They don't focus on the how. They don't even focus on the what of the crucifixion. What the gospel writers focus on is the why. Why did Christ have to die? What does it teach us that he had to die? In our place. And in John chapter 3, we're going to engage a story that tells us the most profound truth in the world. So, starting in verse 1, it says this It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you were doing if God were not with him. And then Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born. Again, Jesus hears the compliment from Nicodemus, dodges it completely, and says, nobody gets to heaven unless they're born again. Plot twist. Verse 4. How can someone be born again when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. 
How can this be, Nicodemus asked. He's confused. He's a teacher of the law. He's like, what is going on here? Verse 10, you are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. In verse 14 and 15 are where we're going to hang out tonight. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is probably the most well-known verse in all the Bible. If you have any church background or even been to a football game, you know this verse. But, but you may be asking, what does John 3.16 have to do with Good Friday? Well, I, I submit to you, this, this story is about Good Friday. Jesus is the one that brings up Good Friday in this conversation. Because John 3.16 isn't the only thing going on in this conversation it's not just God so loved the world in this conversation. It's God loved the world so much that he is going to do something unimaginable, Nicodemus. God loves the world so much that if I would even tell you what he was going to do, you have no construct in your mind for the unimaginable that is going to show the love of God. And he talked about who God the Father is. He talked about the Holy Spirit being the one that moves here and there and what the Son of Man has done coming from heaven to earth. He kind of has this little Christmas drop in there about the incarnation. And what, what Nicodemus misses is this principle. And Jesus is, is saying this. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that God the Father, through Christ the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit are going to achieve for you the right to be born again. One more time. Did you catch it? It just flew by Nicodemus. He's like, sorry, got caught up in the biology there, Jesus. Like, you know, you can't be born again. Like, Jesus, I don't know if you know how much about how, like, babies work, but, like, can't do that again. Blown away by the biology of it and loses the theology of the metaphor. Jesus is saying, I am going to achieve for you the right to be born again, theologically, justification. I'm going to win for you the, the right to live as though you had never sinned. I'm going to justify you before God. And then the power of God through the Spirit is going to move in your old dead heart that could never believe even if it tried, and they're going to give you a new heart, signifying the fact that you are born again, theologically, regeneration. The Father, through the Son and the power of the Spirit, is going to achieve for you the right to be born again. You go, amen, that sounds amazing. How does that happen? Verse 14 is how it happens. John 3.16 happens because John 3.14 happens. And John 3.14 is not near as fun as John 3.16. John 3.14 says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Listen, listen, church, you do not get John 3.16 apart from John 3.14. Eternal life is an achievement for you, not by you. It's an achievement. How is it done is unimaginable. It's unimaginable. And so Jesus refers to a story of Moses in the wilderness. Something happened with Moses in the wilderness that is a symbol of what's going to happen with Christ. There's a connection there. There's symbolism there. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Well, 
why was the snake lifted up in the wilderness? Listen, Nicodemus would have known this story. He's a Pharisee. He, he had scripture memorized. He would have been like, oh yeah, that's Numbers 21. Like, I know that story, Moses in the wilderness. He would have gone there. But many of us, I, I think for many of us, we're like, what is that story again? It's five verses in Numbers chapter 21. And it comes right after Numbers chapter 20, when God had like sent water out of a rock and just created this massive you know, victory for the Israelites. And then Numbers 21 happens. And in verse four, I'm gonna read you five verses of what this story is. It says, they traveled from Mount Hor along the route of the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people, this is God's people, the Israelites, they grew impatient along the way and they spoke against God and against Moses. And they said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water. We detest this miserable food. Israelites, you watch your mouth. What? God brought you out of Egypt to free you from slavery. The last chapter just had a story about God making water come out of a rock, and they're already complaining. In verse 6, then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. I don't know what you think about God, but Numbers 21 verse 7, it's in the Bible. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many of the Israelites died. And the people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And then the Lord said to Moses, catch this, make a snake and put it on a pole and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and he put it on a pole. And then anyone that was bitten by the snake and looked upon the bronze snake, they lived. So stay with me. God's people were disobedient and they were being bitten by snakes and they're dying and they're powerless and they're scared. And so they go to Moses and they say, Moses, pray for us. We're desperate. We disobeyed God. We complained. We cursed God. And now we're being attacked and we need help. Moses, will you pray that the Lord would take away the snakes? So Moses goes and he prays to God. God, would you help us? There's death coming upon us. There's snakes biting us. God, would you intervene? And here is God's response to Moses. Moses, take some bronze and beat it into the shape of a snake. Beat it into the shape of a serpent. And when the bronze looks like snake, the thing that's biting the people, then I want you to lift it up really high. When the bronze looks like the thing that's killing the people, I want you to lift it up really high, and then any of the people that are being bitten by the snakes can look upon the snake, and they will live. That is God's strategy for fixing this thing. Transform the bronze into the image of the thing that's killing the people. And that is the story Jesus chooses to use when he's talking to Nicodemus about what's going to happen in order to achieve you being born again. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. At this point in the sermon, I was thinking about the movie Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, and and C.S. Lewis has this brilliant moment where the white witch has Edmund the traitor. And, and, and she brings Edmund the traitor to Aslan. Aslan's the big lion. He's the Jesus character. And she brings him and she says, there is a traitor in your midst, Aslan. And Aslan responds, his, his transgressions are not against you, white witch. And then the white witch says, Aslan, do you not remember the laws that Narnia was built upon? And Aslan roars at her and she like falls down. It's awesome. And Aslan says, don't talk to me about the deeper magic. I was there when it was written. 
This is one of those deeper magic moments in the Bible. Jesus is showing Nicodemus the deeper magic. Something else is happening in the story in Numbers 21, because Numbers 21 is really about Good Friday. And John 3.14 is really about Good Friday. And you go, how is Numbers 21 and John 3.14 about Good Friday? Well, here's how, if you have eyes to see it. In order to make the bronze look like the thing that was biting them, you had to put the bronze in the fire and you had to hit it with a hammer and you had to put it through a process of being transformed into the likeness of the snakes, the thing that was killing the people. Transformation happened through fire. Transformation happened through a beating. And God tells Moses, when the transformation is complete, when it's fully formed, then you pick it up for all to see and whoever looks on it will live. And the healing of the deadly venom will come through seeing the thing that's been lifted up. Now, Nicodemus is mentioned three times in the Gospel of John. Once right here, talking to Jesus at night. Once in chapter 7, when he tells the other Pharisees, hey, let's not fight Jesus right now. Let's get some more information and wait before we put him on trial. And then the last time he's mentioned is when he comes to the tomb in John chapter 19 with aloes and all the preparations to take care of the body of Jesus. Now, everybody's in Jerusalem at this time, so it is very likely, it's not, it's not a big jump, it's very likely to believe that Nicodemus followed the trial of Jesus, that he heard the false accusations against Jesus. He was there when they exchanged Jesus for Barabbas. He likely followed the flogging of Jesus. He saw the beatings and the mockery and the crown of thorns, the purple robe, all the way through. Nicodemus had access to all of this being one of the, the leaders of the Pharisees. And you have to believe in that process. He's remembering that time that he had one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus. And what's crazy is the history would tell us that what Jesus went through on Good Friday should have killed him way before the cross. Yes, they beat him. Yes, they pulled out his beard. Yes, they tore his flesh. The question is, why didn't he die before the cross? Well, the answer is because if he dies before the cross, then he will not be lifted up. And if he's not lifted up, then the prophecy of Numbers 21 is not fulfilled. So in the execution of Christ, Christ is actively laying down his life while simultaneously actively resisting death. He's holding it back and refusing to die because he has to make a connection in Numbers 21. Unless the Son of Man is lifted up, then those who are, are, are poisoned by the venom, they can't look on him and live. Jesus was the bronze that was being beaten and transformed into the likeness of the snake that was killing the people. Except we're not being killed by snake venom, we're being killed by sin. So Jesus had to be transformed to look like the sin that was killing us. And when he was fully transformed and fully condemned, they nailed him to the cross where he can fully drink the wrath of God in our place. And when they lifted him up, he looked like the thing that was killing us. Just like the serpent looked like the thing that was killing him. And you have to wonder in that moment. For Nicodemus, when he sees Christ lifted up, looking like what our sin deserves. You have to wonder in that moment if it all clicked for Nicodemus and he is just crushed by the story. And he's, he's repeating to himself, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus was telling Nicodemus, I'm going to achieve something for you and for the whole world, but it's not what you think.
Because God loves the world so much, he is going to do something unimaginable. And that's why Good Friday is good news for us. And that's why Good Friday is the gospel. And that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 can say the unimaginable which is he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That Bible verse is unimaginable. Christ was made to be sin for us, the sinners, so that we could take on the righteousness that was his. How does that make sense? That Jesus, who had never sinned, took the place in the punishment of those who had sinned by becoming our sin. He was transformed into the likeness of our sin so that we could be transformed into the likeness of his righteousness. He became our sin, but he never did our sin. So he wasn't a liar, but he became a liar for us. He didn't commit the act, but he symbolized the act. He he never committed adultery, but he came adultery. He, He goes to the cross as the epitome of all sin. Not only what you have done, but anything you will do. Jesus became all sin, every sin, my sin, your sin, past sin, present sin, future sin, all of it. He became all of it so he could pay for all of it. He had to. He had to cover everything on the cross or the cross wouldn't mean anything. If Jesus doesn't become every sin on the cross, then we could only preach the gospel to certain kinds of people. Well, those sins are too bad and these sins are okay, but those sins are too far and your backstory is too bad and Jesus didn't die for that much stuff. Wow, come on. Now, the gospel is for all people because Christ died for all sin. So let me say it this way. There is not a weary sinner that you know in your life who does not stumble to the cross no matter how dark their past is. If they stumble to the cross, if they find their way to the cross, there is no one in human history who is so bad that the blood of Jesus would pull away from them and say, no, 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 that you've sinned too much. No, you've done too much. Listen to me, church. The blood of Jesus Christ says one thing. I'll cover that too. That's, that's the story of Good Friday. I'll cover it all. And that's why Numbers 21 is so profound in connection to Good Friday. Because we've all been infected by the venom of the serpent and the only cure is to look on him and live. Believe in him and live. And for those of us who have done that, then the Apostle Paul's writing in Romans 8.1 sets us free that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. That is the truth for us if you believe that God judged our sin on the cross once and for all. Therefore, there is no condemnation left for me because Christ took it all. God won't judge me now because he already judged me on the cross. So here's what's crazy about Good Friday. Good Friday, it puts your judgment day behind you, not in front of you. Good Friday says, I, I, have, I have put my sin on Christ. The judgment of God is behind me. And if you do not have Christ in your life, then judgment day is in front of you. But that's what the story of Good Friday does. And listen, I love Easter. We're going to celebrate. You better be back looking good. It's going to be on on Sunday. I love Easter. We're going to celebrate. But don't you dare get the story twisted. The resurrection does not overturn a defeat of the cross. No, no, no. The resurrection reveals the victory of the cross. 
It's not like, oh, we lost Friday. We better get here to Sunday. No, no, no. We won on Friday. This is just the evidence of that victory. So I haven't preached in a while. I'm like yelling at you guys. I apologize. This is why we've been saying in this whole Roman series that everything that happened in Adam has been redeemed by everything that happened in Christ. Good Friday is a victory. And it's a reversal of the whole world's brokenness. Listen, Adam and Eve were disobedient to God the Father in the garden. So Jesus goes to the garden to be obedient to the Father, reversing what was done in Adam. Adam cowers and he fails to protect his bride against the serpent. But Jesus, no, he courageously steps forward to protect the bride, his church, from the serpent. Adam and Eve, they hide in the trees, naked, covered in shame. Jesus hangs on the cross naked to conquer our shame. Adam and Eve, their their sin ushered in the curse of thorns. Jesus wears a crown of thorns as he ushers in the salvation from our sin. Adam and Eve, they, they begin in paradise, but they're forced out of the gate due to the curses. But Jesus dies outside of the gate and ends up in paradise because of the cross. Everything that happened in Adam has been redeemed by everything that happened in Christ. It's it's the good news. Probably the most crazy thing I'd ever heard about this because I'm fascinated by this. I love this. I geek out about when the Old Testament has the deeper magic. I love it. Probably the most powerful thing I ever heard about this was last year listening to a sermon uh, about communion where this pastor was talking about what Jesus does at the Last Supper. It says Jesus, when, when he goes, we, we often miss this moment because this, the Seder meal is so beautiful and it reveals to us so much. And I'm so glad we got to celebrate that. But something happens in the Last Supper that is the reversal of what Adam and Eve had. And it's this. And we often miss this. But when Jesus breaks the bread and he offers it to his disciples, he says a very specific phrase. He says, take and eat. Take and eat. And this pastor said there's something significant going on there because the last time the words take and eat were used was in the Garden of Eden. And those are not good words. That's what was said when the serpent comes to Eve and and the serpent says to her, take and eat. And what happens in that is sin came into the world at the invitation to take and eat. Everything is broken in the whole world because we took and we ate. We walked away from God when we took and we ate. Take and eat is the darkest invitation in the whole Bible. Take and eat. But then Jesus has the audacity (laughs) to break the bread and pour the wine. And he says, this is my body and this is my blood. And this pastor said, it's like, it's as if Jesus stood up in that moment and said, hey, Satan, watch this. Take and eat. Take and eat. The same words that were used to usher in sin and death and shame became the same words to usher in salvation and redemption and the glory of the kingdom in our midst. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And that invitation still stands. Right here, that that invitation stands. That you and I are invited, no matter our past, no matter our our current struggles, no matter where we find ourselves, the invitation stands that we can look on him and live. We can be born again because of his achievement for us. We can have our whole world redeemed because of what he achieved for us. The invitation stands. The question is, will we receive it? Will we receive it? Or 
Are we going to continue to think, no, I'm not good enough. No, I'm going to fix myself. No, I'm just going to play the religion game. Or are we going to say, no, 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 no. I don't want any of that. I want to let my judgment day be behind me, not in front of me. So listen, tonight we want to take some time to sit in that and to respond to that. And so in just a moment, we're going to extend communion to you. We have some people in the back that are preparing to pass that out. And as we do this, we're going we're to offer you an opportunity to take and eat and to do it in a way that, that gives you an understanding of what Christ has done and you recognize the cost of your salvation. So as the band's coming up and as the ushers are passing out the elements, when you get your cup, We'd love for you just to take all the time you need. The band's going to start singing. We're going to go into a time of worship. And we want you to take all the time you need. If you need to move around the room, if you need to make your chair, I know it's not a chair, make your bench, bleach, I don't know what this is called. Make that an altar and you kneel down or you go find some place where you just sit with the cup and you sit with the bread. And this is a beautiful time for you to do that. And I know I said at the beginning of this that oftentimes the way Good Friday is preached is a lot of, a lot of the, the energy and the effort is, is on the how that Jesus died. And oftentimes that can conjure up in us a sense of like sympathy or, or, or emotion towards Jesus. And, and listen, that, that's not wrong. I think with the, with the cup and the bread they show us is that it's okay to be moved by the cross. It's okay to be moved by the sacrifice that Christ made in our place. But let's not for a moment pretend that this is not a heavy, overwhelming, significant opportunity we have to take and to eat. So I'm going to pray for us. And again, the instructions are whenever you're ready. Repent, pray, worship reverently. Go around the room if you need to. Whenever you're ready, participate in taking and eating. And then please join us in worship. Stand and sing your heart out to a God who's infinitely worthy of our worship. So Father, we thank you so much for the gift of Good Friday. God, we thank you that you did the unimaginable to achieve for us the right to be born again. So Father, tonight we take the bread and we take the juice and we recognize the heaviness, the cost of that. God, we, it is not lost on us tonight. And God, I pray that as our church engages with these elements, God, our hearts would be moved to worship you. Our hearts would be moved to obey you. Our hearts would be moved to give you the glory you were worthy of. God, we thank you that when we were in our sin, you didn't leave us alone. You pursued us. You redeemed us. You set us free from the curse. So God, tonight we celebrate communion and we rejoice in what you've accomplished. And we do all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today.
At The Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's Word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.